0: Hey, so Kelsey getting baptized, right? Did I say that right? Kelsey? That's your name? All right, cool, man. That's one of them South African, name, African names. Are, yeah. All right. Anyways, uh, she's getting baptized. And uh, are we extra loud, or do I have a lot of monitor right here? This is normal? Okay, that's just me. Okay. Um, anyway, she's getting, getting ready to get baptized. And uh, so uh, we usually take the opportunity to explain what baptism is and um, give you the opportunity uh, to be baptized. Now Kelsey's actually going to get baptized by Emily, Emily and um, Sam is on here, or, uh, oh, she's working with the kids. they're, they're going to actually have the privilege of baptizing her. And that is what Scripture says is that believers baptize believers. You can baptize people in there. It doesn't have to be it may be a church rule to have a deacon or a pastor or elder. I love baptizing, but since they've all been so intimately involved in this relationship, they get to baptize her. And that's a pretty cool thing. Amen. And uh, but in this, uh, if God puts on your heart to get baptized, they're already going to be wet. And if you think you're a big enough person that they can't handle you, you've never seen Emily, you know, but I'm just but if, if you, I, I can jump in and I got plenty of people to help me jump in and we can get you baptized. Right, Zane? <laughs> oh, he went down with the kids already, too. So but uh, here's what baptism is. Baptism doesn't save you. But uh, when you're standing in the water here's the water, here's you. What does that look like, y'all? It looks like a cross. And again, there's two ordinances that we're commanded to participate in as believers to keep bringing us back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He doesn't ever want us to forget the death, burial, and the resurrection so we can live in that resurrection power and see the greatest miracle God is doing on a regular basis right now is changing someone who is spiritually dead into somebody who's spiritually alive. Amen. That's an awesome mirror. How many of y'all can make something dead come alive? Dude, you can't. And he's the only one who can do that. And that's what he does with our souls. And so again, he uh, we got baptism and we have the Lord's Supper. Now, some people think foot washing. If you want to do that, go ahead. And it's an awesome thing to do. But we know we have the Lord's Supper and we have baptism. So when you stand in the water, it looks like a cross, right? And so eventually, what we're going to do is we'll take you down under the water. And we take you under the water, Kelsey, that represents your that Jesus' death and burial. But we know on the third day, what did Jesus do, y'all? He rose. And so there's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection. But it's actually Kelsey's opportunity to preach to everyone who's watching. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that and come down and witness it. It's an awesome thing, because what she is saying is that I have died to being the boss of my life. Now, all of us know that we've, if you've been baptized, you die to that, but, you know, we still come back and be the boss, but our, our intention, with everything in us, we're dying to being the boss of our life. We want Christ to be the boss of our life, and that's what she's saying. And so she's dying to being the boss of her life, and she's rising again now to live for Jesus Christ and not for herself anymore. And she's going to do that, not in her own strength, but in resurrection power, so what it is is a picture of somebody who's given their life to Christ, and when you give your life to Christ, where's the Holy Spirit? He comes and lives inside of you. You have all the Holy Spirit that there is. He just doesn't have all of you. And as you surrender yourself, man, he, uh, what, what Jesus told the disciples in, in Acts 1.8, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's gonna give you power to be witnesses here, there, and everywhere. Power to be a witness. And what that means is whatever you face in life The Holy Spirit is there to give you power, the desire, and the ability to apply God's grace and be able to make it through successfully, joyfully, under a heavy load with patience and goodness and gentleness and meekness. Because how many of y'all know you can't do that in the flesh, right? You've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's giving you power to be a witness. So man, one of the most important things about baptism, yes, it's a death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's also you dying to yourself and rising, not to do it in your own strength, but do it with God's power. And that takes a moment by moment walk with Him if you do it that way. And so, do you agree? Or, or it, Would that be a representation of your life, Kelsey? Amen. Because I, I tell people a lot of times, this ring, what does this ring mean, y'all? It means I'm married, right? So, if I were to take this ring and I were to place it on Johnny, Okay, uh, and Johnny walked around and telling everybody he was married to my wife. First of all, Carly kill him, but second of all, but what would he be if he walked around telling everybody he was my wife, my wife's husband? He'd be a liar, right? And so so again, this ring, if I take this ring off, am I married? Yeah, I'm still married. If I put it on this chair, does it make the chair married to my wife? No. It's a symbol, the same way baptism is, but man, I would hate to baptize somebody and cause them to lie. So if somebody can say, yes, I am dying to my old life and rising to live a new life with Jesus as my boss, man, dude, let's baptize you. Let's do it. Make that commitment. Nail it down right now. It's one of the first acts of obedience we get to do. And I love the, the way Kelsey's doing it. She said, yeah, man, I brought up in the church. I did it symbolic before. But now I know I'm God's kid. I know I'm living for him. Boom, let's do it. So if you feel like God wants you to get baptized, also, I'm just letting you know that invitation is open. Uh, one of the most awkward things: one time, I had a lady. Man, people sometimes we baptize people, and people keep coming out. Had a lady in a long dress come out, and she's like, I, can, "Will you baptize me? Can I, bapt, can I be baptized? I know I'm not appropriately dressed." I said, "As long as you hold your skirt down, ma'am. And, uh, <laughs> and and she she and we baptized her. It was all modest, decent, but man, she had to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So. We'll take care of you and whatever. The devil would love to make all kinds of excuses and help you come up with them. But the fact is, it's something that needs to be nailed down if you've not done it yet. Again, you don't get saved by it, but it's a beautiful symbol, and it's your sign of commitment, the message you get to preach to say, here I am. I've given my life to Christ, and that's what it's all about. Amen, y'all? All All right, so you let me know. And uh, today we are at, unless God changes something right now, we're going back into Ephesians. I've been telling you that all summer. Back at the end of May, I'm like, all right, Ephesians chapter 5, we made it almost all the way through, got to chapter verse 22 with the wife, submit to your husbands, and boom, God put some brakes on. And, 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 And then we went into, I think, the surfboard message for a while. Then we went into Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God kept putting brakes on today, unless he changes something right now. We're fixing to get into this. And, and we are now going to be in Ephesians, and just because it's been that long, we are going to have a quick summary of the first 21 verses, and y'all pray for me that I don't over-explain those verses any more than the Holy Spirit of God would want me to explain them, all right? Because some of y'all weren't here, man, and that was a long time ago, and how many of y'all know you all got crummy memories? Yeah? <laughs> all right, good. So we are going to get into that, but it, uh, uh, I was thinking about uh, you know all of this, and um, God kept bringing to remembrance something Chuck said in Bible study. Chuck, I know you don't even care. You said makes you feel special when I pick on. You. I'm picking on you, bro. Again, and uh, I don't know how. You, are you thinking he's going to Mexico, or is that like probably, you know? Yeah, so you might be gone next week. I don't know, and I still pick on you. All right, in your absence. But um, <laughs> we were in Bible study on Monday night. Now, first of all, you heard some. They have a great Bible study on Thursday nights over behind Target in his house in the neighborhood back there. Uh, Zane has a wonderful one on Friday nights up at Lakewood Park up there. That's an awesome Bible study. I know at the Haynes house, Emily and all of them have a Bible study there on Tuesday night. We also meet Wednesday night at and Fernandez house up at North Beach and uh, have a Bible study. We're in the life of Moses. We're walking through the Red Sea, and I was glad to have you, Tricia, this last week, and it was awesome. And uh and then on Monday night, though, we have a purely Zoom Bible study. It started out in a beauty salon and stuff, but then ended up being a Zoom one after COVID. And now we have people from different states that come. Chuck happens to come over to my house. We eat dinner, and we go out on the back porch. We do Bible study. Sometimes Emily's with us, too, on that. And it's online, but you can jump online. And we're in the book of Revelation. And now it's interesting because all the times i preached through, taught through Revelation, it was kind of like, almost seemed like an eschatological Calendar, like let's look this and figure out when Jesus is coming back. Isn't that what everybody wants to do with it? But what God, but you think about it though, what revelation is, is God gave Jesus permission to reveal. The resurrected, exalted Christ, the who he is in heaven right now, gave him permission to reveal that to John, to reveal it to seven churches as an encouragement that we're going through different things and to put it in the Bible for us so we could have an encouragement. Because once we know who the exalted Christ is, the one who wins, the one who, man, the lion turns into the lamb, and we know he's up there and what he's doing for us and what's gonna happen. We know all of that, dude. It should bring us encouragement. And so that's the way we approach it each week. Instead of our normal lives we say, "Hey, so what stuck out to you, Taylor Twins, you know?" And, uh, and, and and I'm gonna get your names right. I'm gonna but before the day, I'm gonna pick it out and y'all, I think I got it now. Which one's which. But in it anyways, we're like instead of what stuck out to you, what we say is, "What did God reveal to you about Christ that now gives you encouragement?" because that's what everything in Revelation is supposed to do. God reveals who Christ is right now as the exalted Christ. We know the gospel Christ. We know the pre-incarnate Christ. We know, and all those things are awesome, but man, when you see who the exalted Christ is, dude, you're, on, you're not sitting there, you know, we think we, he's fighting the battles, and often we think he's his big dude behind us, and we're like a little puppet, and he's going like this, Right? I don't know about you, but I'm on his back. I jump on his back and I'm cheering him on. That's who the exalted Christ is. So in that, I was like, all right, so Chuck, we were talking about the church in Thyatira or Pergamus, one of those. Chuck, what stuck out to you today? And I'll never forget because it was either last week or the week before. And he just said, you know, it just seems that God wants everybody on his team. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. It just seems every, God wants everybody on His team, everybody in the world, even, because that's what He was doing. He's saying, "Look, dude, here's some warnings. Here's some. Thi- I've got mercy on you. I want you to repent. I want you to come around. I want you to worship me. God wants everyone on His team." And then the discussion went to this. Wow, we're already on His team. How many of y'all know you're on His team? Guaranteed, no doubt about it. You know, and it's not a proud thing because you know it's because of Christ. He gave you the desire and ability. And you're on His team. We're already on the team. Hey, and every one of us have a permanent position on that team. Christy, can you ever get kicked off the team? No matter how bad you play as a one-legged kickball player, can you ever get kicked off God's team? No! You can't ever get kicked off God's team. And, and every single one of you have a starting position. You ever been on a team where you were a bench warmer? That wasn't much fun, so you quit. Uh, you're not a bench warmer. Every one of you has a starting position, and every one of your positions is, is as important as the next position. But it's different than other people's. And so if we know we are starters, and we are on a team, a huge team, where everybody's a starter, and we have this permanent position that we can never be taken away from us, then the discussion came up to like, well, wow then we really don't need to be worrying about our position. We need to really be thinking about doing our job and what our job is for this little bit of time that's left in this game. What our job is, is to live life in such a way that other people would want to be a part of this team. But if, see, we're jockeying for position and like, oh dude, man, look what Johnny's got, look what I got. You know, trying to, trying to jockey. Dude, Johnny's got a different position than me. You know what, a football team, there's quarterback, right? There, and, and, and you know when you're a little kid anybody ever play peewee football back in the day you remember peewee football i think it's illegal now i don't think i think it's like they're not allowed to play it anymore but i don't know anyways only in the hood they play it dude <laughs> but, yeah we got a good one in four Pierce. but man pee-wee football I was a quarterback top stud man they're the quarterback or the running back i was like number three so d- down on the list so i got to be the fullback all right probably because i was round but anyways uh, but yeah fullback man that's where your top three players went right you know, and then later you get a little older and something passed. Now you got receivers. Then you get up in high school, you got, yeah, the studs or the quarterback, the running back, fullback, you know, the flank or whatever. you got the, you got the wide receivers, you know, and then you throw tight ends in there. But what do all of those positions need to be successful? Help me out. What position do they need? And now they're drafting these people first in the, in the NFL draft. Ben, Benjamin, who are they? The lineman, yeah. When you're in Pee-wee football, oh, he's a big fat kid. Put him there, you know. I mean, that's just the way it worked. I got to be lineman sometimes, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, just it's an insignificant position. But man, now you realize, man, how many teams? Any Detroit Lion fans here by any chance who would admit they're a Detroit Lion fan? Okay, thank you. My dad saw the inception of it and was a Lion fan till he retired. They've never won anything, have they, Johnny? Never. They've had awesome quarterbacks that could run. I wonder why they had to run, because they had no linemen. I'm just saying, they had awesome receivers because the quarterback's like, get rid of the ball, you know? And they had awesome players, but they've never had a team, man. They couldn't put it all together. Who's more important, the lineman or the quarterback? You can't do anything. It's a team effort, and it takes the entire team doing their job for it to be a success, and that's what we've got to understand as believers, man. God wants everyone on the team, and for those of us that are already on the team, we have a starting position. Do you know what your starting position is? Do you know, Ryan, do you know what your role is, who you are right now, what you're supposed to be doing? I'm not talking about five years, what I'm talking about right now, and I don't want an answer. I just want you to think about that, you know? Same to you, Jason, every one of us. What is your role right now, and you have a starting position. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever coached little kids soccer or little coach something? Little kids soccer, everybody's got to play, but half the team wants to play in the dirt and pick their nose, right? And you got to play those kids. And if you're competitive and you want to win, dude, you're trying to figure out where you can put those kids in so you can still win, how to, how to order them in there so they don't hurt your team. You understand in this, in this game, if you want to call it that, In Christianity, you are on the winning team. What a privilege, and you have a starting position. There are no bench warmers. Some of you are like, I'm a bitch. No, dude, you have a position. It might be the water boy. How important was the water boy, y'all? Y'all seen that movie? No, I'm just saying. But water boy, HTO, man, I'm just saying. You have a position, and your position is crucial. Do you realize you're in a starting position? Or are you trying to get somebody else's position? And that's when we get into this whole thing of submission of what it's about, is everybody playing their position and playing it to the best of their ability instead of trying to play somebody else's or be jealous of somebody else's or put somebody down because that's the only way you can make yourself better. And on God's team, dude, we win. (coughs) And everybody wants to be on the winning team. But when they see us fighting and arguing and stuff, that's why Paul gets into this in Ephesians about submission. It's submission isn't necessarily lining up under people. It's lining up under a mission. There is a mission that God has, and it is to make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything He teaches you. That's the mission. And we line up under that, and He gives us different roles to do that with. And we're going to look at a couple of them here, but let's take a look real super quick. at. Um, uh, we, I didn't give JJ a new title, but it's still uh, God's plan for men and women here. So here's the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to try to bust through this again just as a review because some of you weren't here, and also it's crucial to the context. And a text without a context is a pretext. You don't have the right to make God's Word say what you want it to say. It's all together. You have to say what God wants it to say. So check this out. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's how he starts, therefore. Now, in order to understand what the therefore is there you have to go to the previous verses to see. And in a nutshell, what the therefore is there at the end of chapter four, you know what he says? He said, he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, how did he say you could grieve the Holy Spirit? He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by acting like you're not saved. In fact, he says, if you go back and read it again in chapter four later or whatever, but he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, the one who has sealed you for eternity. So you're on the team. You've been drafted. You can't be kicked off. You have a starting position, and your position is just as important as everyone's for the success of the team. He said, so don't grieve the Holy Spirit by complaining and whining and because you don't have this or that or the other. Or you want somebody else's position or yours isn't working out or you haven't had a plan. Quit grieving the Holy Spirit by acting like you're not saved. No, you're saved. You're on the team. You're going to be on it forever. Amen? So man, he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So therefore, be an imitator of God an imitator of God. Um, Man, we we saw it in Ephesians, or I mean in, in Genesis. Man was made in what image? The image of God. And that word image icon, again, it's like looking in a mirror. When the mirror image does this, or you do this, the mirror image better do it, or it's not you, you know? And so we had the ability before the fall to mimic God. But then at the fall, now we have a distorted mirror, Sin distorts our ability to mimic God, but when Christ came, he gave us the Holy Spirit where we don't have to sin, and we still can mimic God when we're walking in the Spirit and obeying the Spirit and obeying his words. But the moment we start walking in the flesh the way we want, we no longer really mimic God. In fact, I want to challenge you. I'm not going back into Genesis, but I believe it's in Genesis 5. You know, it says God made Adam and Eve in his own image, and then it says he made their offspring in whose image? Anybody know? In their own image. They were still made in the image of God, but they were made with a flawed, distorted image of Adam and Eve until that's why we have to be born again. So we can now have the Holy Spirit and be able to mimic God. So he said, be imitators of God. So if you're born again, you can imitate God. Jack, you ever call turkeys in, man? Oh, you like, are you good at that? Yeah, yeah do, do you ever drive your wife crazy doing it at home, practicing and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, what are you doing when you make that? You're imitating what? A turkey. So, you can bring them in and you can shoot them and mount them and eat them and all that. Yeah, yeah. You, but you're imitating them. I'm going to challenge you, instead of imitating a turkey, imitate God. No, I'm just saying, no. we, we have deer grunts, we have elk, you know, there's every hunting, man, every form of hunting, there's something you're imitating to get, Satan does that. Why are, you imit- why are you bringing that turkey in? Just to see if you can bring him in? No, dude, to blast his head off. And you've been practicing to do it, right? Why do you think Satan imitates God? To bring you in so he can blast your head off, I'm just saying. And, and so that's why we've got to know what the truth is. Dude, wait a minute. That ain't really a, no, that ain't, that ain't a real turkey. That's Jack over there hay, hiding in the, I even see he's got the wrong camo on. Dude, doesn't he know that camo's out of style this year, right? <laughs> I'm joking. But therefore be imitators of God. God wants us to imitate him as beloved children. No, you're saved, you're on his team, and you're not one of those kids that's sitting in the dirt, picking your nose that God has to play. You have a valuable position. Every one of you have been set up to succeed and be winners on his team. What position are you playing? I want you just to think about that right now. What is my starting role? What am I doing for God right now? What is, what, what is my position? What does he want me to think about that individually? Right now, I'm going to give you ten seconds of silence to think about that. Anybody have a hard time thinking about it? Wow, I know what I'm doing for my job. I know what I'm doing for my condo association. I know what I'm doing for this. I know, but really, understand your eternal position and start figuring that out. That's why we're walking this together, and we're in God's Word. Be imitators of God as beloved children. As we walk in love, as Christ loved and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So what he's saying is the way that the way that we imitate God is we walk in love, or if we imitate God, we are walking in love. In fact, who is our priority? Who do we love first? Love the... Lord your God, we love Him first, and if we love God, who does He cause us to love next? Others. And then we get the result. Is there any benefit to us in loving God and then loving others? Tom, have you ever been in a position where you're loving God, you're loving others? Doesn't that just feel good? Isn't that where you're satisfied? Because that's what you were created to do. But the world's got it so upside down, they're like, oh no, Oprah says you got to love yourself first. And then everybody who's in the whole, you know, love, love yourself, and once you love yourself and you feel loved, you can look in the mirror, you can be happy and love, then go, you'll be full so you can love others. Are you ever really going to love yourself? Not unless you love God first. When you love God, He causes you to love others, and now you're fulfilled, and you're digging your life. But if you try to love yourself first, that's Selfish and you're not going to have much left over to try to love somebody else. And then if you can, well, I'm going to try to give God something, man. But you got nothing left because you're trying to love out of an empty love tank. Any of y'all trying to stretch your gas tank out these days? (laughs) I put a little piece of tape over that little light there that has a little gas thing. That way I ain't got to see it, right? That's what some of y'all done spiritually, right? God wants to be priority. He designed us to love him then we love others. And dude, there's lots of love coming back. Anytime. Dude, uh, one time somebody was asking a pastor, man, it was back years ago, and, and um, he was saying, what is your payday, pastor? What is the greatest thing for you, pastor? Why do you do what you do? And, and he said, I know it's not your paycheck. <laughs> and, and he's like, yeah, and I know what you're calling, but literally, why do you do what you do? And what it came down to, these pastors all said in this group I was with, it's being used by God. That's what the the payday is. When God uses you, it's just like, oh, awesome, because you know it wasn't you. He said, then why don't you give your people the same opportunity to be used by God? And that's what it means to equip the saints, which is also in Ephesians. So when you are being used by God because you're loving him first, you're seeing life from his perspective, helping others do it, he's causing you then to love others, and you get the benefit. Chrissy, you digging this Bible study now? Why? Because he's using you is stuff coming out of your mouth to them young couples that you're like, where'd that come from? Yeah, it's much better than sitting in some ladies' plug and play you were at before going, oh, what time is it? When's this going to be over? God's using you. It's an awesome thing. So he said, walk in love as Christ loves us. And he gave himself up for us. There's love. There's how you mimic God. You give yourself up. It's first you give it to him. He gives you to others. And then you take the residual, but that's how you were created to operate give himself up for us, a fragrant offering sacrifice to God. Back in May, we talked for two hours probably about that. You can go back and look at the, listen to those. But look what he says. He said, that's what we're supposed to do. But he said, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. It's not proper among the saints. Evidently, there was an issue with that. In fact, there were people preaching that. And 30 years later at Thyatira and Pergamos, they were preaching the same thing, saying, Oh, yeah, you, you know, the soul is good, but the body's evil. So do what your body wants. It's just your soul that matters. And a bunch of just garbage. But again, aren't you glad we don't have that garbage of mix up of what sexual immorality is in our society today? Or impurity? We got it, man. We, got, we know what it is. So, what is immorality? Immorality is any morality that is opposite of God's morality. You define it. Go look in the Word of God and find God's morality. Go find God's morality concerning sex in the Bible, and then you will know if it doesn't fit in that, it is sexual immorality. Impurity. What is impurity? Go look at what God's definition for purity is. And anything that doesn't fit in God's definition for purity, I don't care what society says or you or whoever, it's not. It's impure. But look how he defines both of those things. He defines it as covetousness. Covetousness. That's the 10th commandment. And when you violate the 10th commandment, how many of the others are you capable of violating to fulfill that 10th one? To violate every one of them. Covetousness is wanting something God doesn't want you to have, and you decide you want. How'd that work out for Adam and Eve in the garden? Y'all remember that? We talked about it last week. Before They woke up and they were like, whoa, what a beautiful sunrise. look at the beautiful flowers. Look at what, before they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what could they see about everything? What did they see? Good. So eating off the tree was only going to open their eyes to see what? Evil. Prior to, how many of y'all would love to wake up and not see evil? Would anybody like to just be able to close your eyes and not see evil? I'm just saying that that's all they gained. You know, in this covetousness, God said, you have everything except this tree. I really don't want you to know about evil. I want you to be able to know only about good and dig everything I've given you. And then Satan, remember? Oh, did God really say? In what world would a loving God deny you or let that happen in your life? Oh, you're right. We better eat it. And, And all of a sudden, all they did was open their eyes to what? And what shines brighter, evil or or good in, or, or, or I don't say shines, but what stands out in this world? What do you see more of? Evil by far. Wouldn't it have been awesome if we didn't have to see that junk? But, but again, again that's, that's what happens when we have, have covetousness. covetousness. We, we want something, something God, God didn't want us, want us to have. We think, we think we're smarter, smarter than him, him and, and we, we would break, break every one of the other commandments to commandments get what God doesn't, doesn't want us to have. To that's that's our, our human nature. nature. He said, dude, you're you're on the winning team. you got a starting position. Your position is crucial. It's valuable. Don't let this be seen among you because it's not proper among saints. When you're digging in this, you're not playing the position I've got for you. And you're not going to enjoy what you're doing anyways. It's going to backfire like it did on Adam and Eve. He said, let no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking Boy, aren't you glad we don't have any of that on social media? Whoo, man, I'm I'm glad I don't ever see those memes on your pages. (laughs) And you You better better not see them on mine. I'm just saying. uh, Let me ask you a question. If you were to go go to Zane's house and y'all saw a pig in the mud, (laughs) I said Zane's house because anybody else have pigs at their house? Y'all even got some now? I'm just saying, yeah, okay, good. I know we got some. If you went and you saw a pig laying in the mud, would you think anything of the pig in the mud? No, that's their nature, right? But now, you see one of them white Persian, you know, or Siamese, one of, them, one of them weird special cats that have attitudes, you know what I'm talking about? I had Siamese, so I know what I'm talking about. Dude, between hurricanes in 04, we went to the pound. my kids were like, oh, we need a kitty, and I'm like, well, we don't have electricity, so let's get a cat. And, uh, yeah. So we went and went to the pound and, and, and became foster parents to Roxy and Rusty, <laughs> these two little Siamese kittens, you remember And dude, they loved me. I'm like, oh, look at Roxy and Roxy. And you all clean the litter box, but look at this, so you know. And there's Rusty and Roxy, and we're hanging out. And then I was the one who took them to the vet to get them spayed and neutered. Well, after I picked them up, they would never talk to me again. <laughs> and they lived a long time. They lived a long time, man. And uh, yeah, they, uh, so you, I'm, when I'm talking about these cats, no, I'm not just, you know, a dude, they're weird. They're like, Ooh, you know, Emily got along with them. What does that say about you? I don't know, but, <laughs> <coughs> but anyways, so there they were. So let's say if you were to see one of those cats now laying in the mud, Christy, what'd you be thinking? If it's laying in the mud next to your pig going, what would you be thinking about that cat? Would you, something's wrong with it. Yeah, something's wrong with it. Either you finally got it trained right. No, I'm just like, no, but something's wrong with that cat. That's what he's saying here. When the world sees us with filthy and foolish talk and crude joking and, and, and see this with, with morality opposite of God's impurity opposite of God, we're like that white Angora cat laying in the, laying in the mud. Something's wrong with it dude, that pig done killed a cat, <laughs> you know? Something's wrong. That's what he's saying here. And we're gonna have those moments, aren't we? But what's supposed to happen when we read the scripture, we say, "Ooh, God, uh, you know what, conviction, I need, to, I need to change that in my life. That's not cool. That's not who I am. I have a new identity in Christ and this is who I am. So he said, don't let this filthiness and foolish talk or crude joking, which is are out of place, but instead, let there be, instead of doing that, he says, let there be what? Thanksgiving. Yeah, because when you're grateful, Karen, what? Everything's great. And if you've got anxiety, he even tells you in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, 6, and 7. He says, Worry or have anxiety over nothing, but pray about everything with supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to him. Then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Man, ask God when you're in anxiety, why should I be grateful for this? Scott, you can see on the other side why to be grateful now, but what gets you through the middle is why should I be grateful? And God's saying, I'm doing something. I'm doing something. And if you got that promise, you can keep going, right? Ask God why to be grateful for the things bringing you anxiety. That's what he says. Don't succumb to the world and, and get in the filthiness and be a cat laying in the mud, dude. He said, exchange it with thankfulness and gratefulness. Why should I be grateful for this situation in my life? He said, For you may be sure of this everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetousness, that is idolatry again, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So, if this is your lifestyle to be sexually immoral, sexually impure, uh, and again, remember the definitions, it's any purity opposite of God's, any morality opposite of God's. And he said, If that's your lifestyle, you have no inheritance in the kingdom. You're not a believer. You may go to church, you may hold positions, you may even have your own church. You have all these things, but he said, here's the test. But he's saying, for those of you who are like that cat, that man, you kind of keep taking a dip in the mud, realize the world sees something's wrong with that. You can't be doing both at the same time, worshiping Christ and, and worshiping this world at the same time. He said, when, you're laying, when that cat's laying there in the mud, That cat ain't enjoying life. Something's wrong with it. It's not enjoying the life that God designed for it. And if you're not doing what God wants you to do, I mean, when are we most fulfilled? I'm giving God my life. I'm doing what he wants me to do. And, and, and given it, uh, when my, I have conflict between what I want to do and he wants me to do, I, out of love, I choose him. I surrender to him. I seek him first. And, and the kingdom of God is righteous. He said, everything be added unto me. He, I love him. He caused me to love others. And then I have, I'm fulfilled because now I'm who he wants me to be. But when I'm trying to get fulfilled by laying in the mud, dude, he's, it's just not very fulfilling. It's not. He says, at that point, don't be telling me I'm your king. If you live in that way, you're the king. You're the king. And there's nothing in between. So he said, man, guys, don't be that cat laying in the mud. He he said, and listen to this. He said, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words because they had preachers just like they had a Jezebel in, I think it was Thyatira, who was preaching from the pulpit to saying, yeah, you know what? I understand to do business in this culture, you have to have sexual morality, you have to worship Baal, you have to do these immoral things to be able to do a business, and you have to eat. Yeah, we understand. And this lady was preaching from the pulpit, this garbage straight from the pit of hell. And Christ said, "No, you're deceiving my servants. My servants—they're not yours. You're deceiving my servants. Leadership—you better get this in order and make sure what's being preached from the pulpit is straight up and right, and it's my word. This is not me. You claim she claims to be a prophetess, and she's not." You preach my word, not your word. And, and, and once again, this is this was in Ephesus 30 years prior. Don't believe they're empty words. They're telling you this immorality is excusable. It's okay. This impurity is bad. It's okay. And, and it's washed down and watered, man. I just want you to never forget the white Angora cat laying in the mud. Because again, I see that, Chrissy. I'm thinking the pig done killed the cat. Cat didn't get there by itself, man. That's not its nature, and it's not your nature as a believer. So he says, man, he said, let no one deceive you with these empty words, uh, for because the things of this, of the, uh, for these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If it's your lifestyle, there's going to be the wrath of God, ultimately for eternity. But if you, if God decides to come down with consequences, and you're at that, and you're there in that party, guess who else gets the consequences? You do. He says, stay out of that, dude, stay out of it. So, he says, therefore, don't become partners with those. You stay seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need to be added. For at one time, look what he says, at one time you what? Were darkness. Not that you were in darkness. Oh, yes, one day I was covered with darkness. No, you were darkness. You were evil. The evil in this world, before you got born again, it came out of you, just like it comes out of everyone who's not born again. You were darkness. But now, how many of y'all like that but now? How many of y'all know there's a but now time in your life? Anybody got a but now? You remember it? Dude, I remember my but now, June 26th, June 27th, 1988. That was a but now moment. Man, I am no longer darkness, man. But now I'm, I'm light. I'm not in the light. I wasn't in darkness and now I'm in light. I was darkness. I was the epitome, the definition of darkness, you don't believe me, ask my sister who's still waiting for me to come out of this phase that I'm in. I know you're going to mess. I I know you're going to come out of it. There's no way you could be that. And now, you know why? Because she lives by a religious system. I don't. I live by a Holy Spirit of God that has empowered me and changed me. He has totally changed me. I don't want those things. And if I ever do, there's conviction and 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 I'm just staying there one time you were darkness but now you're light in the world. So he says walk as children of light. Quit belly flopping as an angora cat in the mud put- mud pit. Dude, stretch your little fluffy tail proud. You know, for you cat people. Every y'all think I hate animals after all my purse dog jokes, right? I want you to know we have two purse dogs in this church right now. I'm just saying no. <laughs> right, there's a dog in there, right? Yes, Joanne. Joanne, are you paying attention? Barbara, oh, Barbara, yes, I'm sorry, Barbara, yes. Is your dog's name Joanne? No, I'm just, I'm messing with you. Hey, we got a dog in there? Yeah, I knew it. So yeah, anyways, I digress, we're back. And we got babies too, dude. Anybody's welcome, it's all good. All right, Barbara, yes, LaBello, right? I got it, yes. All right, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children in the light. That's what we're supposed to be doing, and that's how we're going to be satisfied. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Not eaten off the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but the the good. He said, you want to have good and wake up and see minimal evil in your life? Walk in the spirit, walk in the fruit of the light When you're walking with God, you see life from God's perspective. When you walk in the Spirit, you cannot fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And in that, he tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is what, y'all? Love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, caring, self-control. is not self-control at all, spirit control. I'm just saying, man, you want to have it better. Walk with him. That's what Paul's saying. Don't walk over here like you used to. That's like, no. Someone's just going to have to pick your little Angora body up and hold you up by the tail and just get a water hose. and You ever feel like God's done that in repentance? (laughs) You know, and then put you down. It's like, all right, don't do that again. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try, try. This is what we do. Zane, oh man, it was, uh, it, was, it was Scott and Zane. Y'all said so much of the same thing. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, not the outcome. What do you want me to do now, God, and do it? Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Ain't going to be no fruit growing on that tree. But instead, expose them. Look at this. He said, instead, expose these. But then he goes on and says, it's shameful to speak of the things that they do in secret. How are you going to expose them you can't talk about it? I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to do is blast people on Facebook? Look at them wretched sinners. Look at this wretched sin. Look at this wretched... Is that what he's saying? No, no. That's, you want to see how he says to expose it? Anybody can throw trash around. Anybody can throw trash around. That's not what he says. He said, you're supposed to expose it, but dude, it's shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So how do you expose darkness? The stuff being done in the dark, how do you expose it? You walk in the light. You walk in the light, guess what? You're a big light stick, you walk in, and all of a sudden, it's not like you're going to expose, like, ooh, look at you, look at you, look at you. No, dude, you're just walking, loving. You're loving God and loving others. And in that act, you're exposing what's going on in the darkness. Now, some people may look at it and say, man, I think I'd like to be on your team. I think I'd like to be on your team. You say I can have a starting position. There's room for me on. Is there room for me on that team? Yeah, there's room and starting position. You just surrender your life to Christ and you can be on that team. But other people don't react so nicely to light walking in a dark room, do they? How many of y'all are not morning people at all? Not morning people at all. Let me see your hands. Oh, Yeah. So, so, I, 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 oh, so you don't want to get up at like five in the morning and go paddleboarding with us that day? Okay, all right. You, you, he's ripping y'all off because he's thinking about himself first. But I'm just saying, no, I'm messing with. You. So uh, you don't like the darkness? I mean, you don't like like early morning. So here you are. You're laying in La La Land in your room. Oh well, maybe you don't snore. But I'm just saying, you're just laying there, dude, and it's quiet, man. It's dark. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in and flicks on the bright lights. Uh, look at, can you make that face one more time for us? Uh, right? Do you understand that some people are going to act that way when you walk into the room and you're light? They're going to be going. Uh. But you know what? Don't take it personal because it's against Christ. Don't be a jerk about it, but the fact is, is understand that's how people are going to walk. Now, if you're an arrogant, pompous Christian, yeah, they're going to be like, and it's not the light of Christ that they're erring about. It's your pompous, arrogant personality that they're erring about, because you're supposed to be doing this in love. You walk in in love, and you walk in love, but there's going to be some people going, and then you flick the lights on. So when they flick the lights on, okay, let me just play this scenario out. First of all, you may like try to cover your eyes so you don't have to see it, right? And, and you don't want to see it, right? But they fly, shine even brighter. They get up in close into you, and there's more light. So, man, you know, you take them and pick them up, and you body slam them out on the other side of the door. You shut the light off, and you lock the door. Understand, that's what persecution is, fans. That's what persecution is. Some people don't want the light cockroaches middle of the night they don't like light just saying <laughs> and if they do be afraid be very afraid because those, <laughs> those are tough ones <laughs> I'm just saying but yeah that's how people react to light but there's another way to react to light you go Ugh! and you've got oh and if the light doesn't really go away but the light is full of love you might just kind of start opening your eyes a little bit right isn't that what you eventually have to do eventually you're going to have to give in right And what happens to your eyes with the light? You get used, like right now, I don't see you going No, your eyes, it's light, probably lighter than it was when you woke up, but your eyes got used to it. Now it becomes the norm, and now you see the value in walking in the light. Wow, I can actually do stuff without stubbing my toe. I'm just like, you know? And that's, but our, our job is to just simply walk in and be the light. That's what he's saying. You got, that's your position on his team. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, he says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. That little quote, I thought it was a Bible verse at first, but it was actually probably more of one of their hymns they sang. One of their hymns they sang was, awake, O sleeper, talking to themselves, if I'm sleeping, let me wake up and start playing my position and Christ will shine on me, and now I can be a light to this dark world. That's what that's talking about. So he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective, so make sure you're seeing life from God's perspective as you're walking, making the best use of, what's the next two words? Yeah, April, does it say your time? What does it say? The time. Out of all the times in the universe when you could have been born, I remember I asked you all one time, if you could have been born in another time period, some of y'all are like, oh, I'd love to have been a pirate, or during the Revolutionary War, or different times when you, how many of y'all would have, have dreamt about being alive in another time period? Some of y'all are like, oh, if I could just go back to leave It the beaver days, right? You know? But God chose for you to be alive at this point in time in history, to be on his team in a starting position with all the skill sets you will need with the power that he has given you. He set you up to succeed. You step up to the plate, dude, with confidence, knowing God's equipped you to be a success right now. Man, making the best use of this time. And the best use, dude. We were talking. Where's where's uh, Devin? Devin, there's my boy. Where is Devin here? Devin, you're back here. I see you back there. So I was trying to encourage people who we were playing disc golf. I'm like, oh, you can do this. Oh, look at you. You're gonna bomb this. Devin's like, I know your game, man. You're trying to get in people's heads, you know. <laughs> First of all, quit judging others by yourself. I'm just no, I'm, no. But but Devin's really smart and kind of analytical. He's like, you're psyching them out. Reverse psychology. You're trying to get all you know because. Honestly, there was a day where that's how I did play. I would beat you mentally before I even had to face you physically. And and so what if you get up to bat in this day, making the best use of the time is not listening to the devil and his servants who sometimes are even in his church trying to trash talk you and get you to not realize the identity you have in Christ. You ever been trash talk before, and all of a sudden you lose all your confidence that you gained while you were in church or while you were in the Word? He said, make the best use of this time. Get rid of all the evil, and if you know the truth, and the truth will set you free, right? If you can apply it, apply. Just believe God, and go to bat with that, and don't let everything... Somebody asked me one time, what are your two favorite movies? Or what are your favorite movies? And I was like, well, I like Forrest Gump, and I like Pirates of the (laughs) Caribbean. And they're like, Forrest Gump, why? And I said, because he is so simple that anything that people do to break him down mentally, it goes right over his head. (laughs) So he just keeps plodding along and succeeds. I want to be that way. I just want to know what's good and what God wants. And I want all your trash talk to go right over my head. And if you want to call me dumb and simple, awesome. God's calling me successful in that. But that's it, that Forrest Gump mentality. Make the best use of this time because the days are evil. And this was written to the Ephesians a couple thousand years ago that now, and he he told the same guy Paul said to uh, Timothy, it's going to get more evil as time goes on. So we got 2,000 more years of evil to add to this right now. So make the best use of this time. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it realize, hey, you just thought you were an airline, like, what do y'all call yourself, flight attendants now, or something like that? Yeah, used to be stewardess, that's like sexist and misogynist, but but flight attendants, right? Man, you you understand that's your starting position for God, and you know he put you there, right? You know that without a shout out, don't you ever forget that. That's your starting position for God, and that's why he's got you there, And, and, and it's awesome to know that, So making the best use of time because days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Foolish people act as though there is no God, but understand what is the will of the Lord. And again, the will of the Lord is to follow him, bring him glory. And at the very beginning, he said, imitate him. Now, said, don't get drunk with wine for this is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, Being filled with the Spirit, the word filled is plurero in the Greek, and that word literally means to be controlled by. So when he's talking about being drunk, he's talking about how wine can control you and how alcohol can control you. But in a general sense, he's talking about how the world can control you. Don't let the world, don't let CNN or Fox, (laughs) don't don't let the world control you, but let the Spirit of God control you. And that's how we succeed. You see the world controlling us, let the Spirit of God control you. Go back and say, what do you want me to do now, God, and do it? I really do think that is the simplest way to explain a Spirit-filled life. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. If all you're doing is, what do you want me to do now, God? What do you want me to do now, God? What do you want me to do? You're going in circles. If you're like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, but God never told you to do it, you're going in circles. <coughs> do you believe if you ask God what He you wants you to do, He'll tell you? Yeah. You just do the next step what he wants you to do. So he said don't let the world control you. Man, <laughs> and definitely don't let wine control you. Uh, I'm not going to tell you it's illegal again, you know, that God says it's illegal to drink or whatever. I'm not getting that argument, but it is illegal to be drunk when it's controlling you that. He said, "Dude, that's the white cat laying in a pig pen covered with mud. Don't be that pig or that cat, I mean." <laughs> I was there. People ask me now, hey, you want you want a drink or something, man? You know, I, I, Disc golf, I was telling these guys when I first started to play disc golf, first time I ever went out there in the back corner of Torpey Road, there was a guy with a baby cart. He had a cooler and he had a bong and a Grateful Dead shirt. And they were like, pastor, yeah, I introduced myself. I'm like, well, pastor, we don't want to be kind of rude, but hey, do you want to hit off this bong or you want one of our beers? And I was like, nope, I've had enough. Thank you like, what do you mean? You haven't had any? I said, yeah, 26 years. When I was 26, by the time I was 26, I had enough. But I personally don't ever want to be controlled by anything other than the Holy Spirit. And when I see something controlling me, I know that's a time when God doesn't have control of me. And that's a dangerous place to be, especially if he's ever had control of you. So I said, man, don't let the world control you. He said, here's what we're supposed to do, addressing each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord. And what's the last three words say? How many of y'all are glad that God told people to sing in their heart? Do you know people that should sing in their heart? <laughs> they sing out loud and it's kind of rough, right? <laughs> yeah, come. That's why nobody's sitting next to me during worship. They had to sit behind me today. All right, these people will never sit up here again. I'm just saying. But so look what he says: when you're filled with the Spirit. You're addressing one another. Instead, when you're thankful, you're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're singing, making melody to the Lord in your heart. You're encouraging each other. How many of y'all want a phone call from somebody like that? Instead of, oh, guess what happened now? Yeah, well, now I got hemorrhoids. I'm just just saying, dude. It's like, literally, isn't that? I mean, do you know people like that? You're like, oh, I can't answer it. But then they're going to leave a voicemail. And then I, don't be that person, man. Be grateful. Be grateful. And, and, and that's how you can tell if you're full of the Spirit. Listen, you can tell if you're full of Spirit because you're going to be joyful, you're going to be thankful, and you're going to be in submission, you're going to see. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. If it's in your heart, what's going to come out? That you squeeze an orange, what do you get? Yeah, you squeeze a Christian, what should you get? Christ. Look at this. Giving thanks always. When are you supposed to give thanks? Always. Giving thanks always, and for and for what? Yeah. And I'm not going to use the H word again, but I'm just saying giving. Uh, giving thanks always and for everything. Everything God brings in your life is for a reason, and it's setting you up to succeed. If we are grateful, thankful people for always and everything, man, how many of y'all want to be around thankful people? Yeah, because it rubs off. Thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look what happens. So he says, you're going to be joyful. You're going to be thankful, but look at verse 21. You're going to also be in submission. You're going to submit yourself under the mission. Realize you are on the team and Christ is the head and and he has you in a mission and you're going to realize what your position is and you're going to do it and you're going to dig it and you're going to love it and look for his empowerment. Submitting to one another. Man, doing everything in your power to make your teammates a success. Don't you want that in sports? I mean, have you ever seen a teammate that doesn't, like, you know, some prima donna athlete that doesn't try to make their teammate a success? What a loser. Man, I like watching teammates, man. And that's what we're supposed to do. Help each other become a success, as opposed to just trying to make us a success. Submitting to one another, helping each other line up under the mission God's given us. And look at this, out of reverence for Christ. You're not honoring Christ if you're not trying to help others become a success at the godly mission. You can say all you want. So, it is 1114, and we have just reached verse 22. So, will you guys come back next week so I don't have to repeat all that again? (laughs) And we will start right here. But in essence, listen, man, here's what he's saying, whether it's wives. And by the way, he says, wives submit. He does tell children to obey and employers, employees to obey. He doesn't say wives obey, but he says, wives submit. Understand in your marriage, we'll cover this next week. At least we got back into Ephesians. Amen. (laughs) But, but listen, there is a mission for the entire church. We're all on a team, and, and this team, how many of y'all know this team is going to win? <laughs> you imagine the odds you could get in Vegas right now on this? <laughs> Nobody thinks we're going to win. And wait till later when, when everything starts going down even worse. They're going to think we're the biggest losers in the world, but we know we're winners. And since we know we're winners, we want the people who think they're winners to know that they're losing and that they need to come onto our team and God wants to use us to do that. So we've got this team, and you've got a starting position, and your position's important. And if you're not blocking, then I'm going to get creamed as a quarterback, if that's my position. Or if you decide to call your own play, you mess everything up. Somebody's the head. Christ is the head. The church is the body. But then he goes even further and says, man, I'm going to create a building block for this world, and it's the family. And Satan knows if he can destroy the family, he can destroy the civilization. And we've seen firsthand evidence, but we can still keep this family going. So within the family, there's going to be quarterbacks, there's going to be blockers, there's going to be tight ends. Within your work, there's going to be the same thing. And, with, and, 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 and he says that there's a structure, but just remember this, our job is to line up, not necessarily under people, although that's where he puts us, we line up all under the mission. And the mission, again, what Jesus said, when you go out into this world, make disciples. Uh, Baptize baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things I've taught you. And he said, oh, and I'm with you always. So that's what our mission is, is to make disciples since Chuck said, so eloquently said, seems like God wants everybody on his team. How many of y'all know people that aren't on his team? Yeah. And we're on the team. So we shouldn't be worrying about any position, anything on the team. What we should be focused on is living in such a way that people would want to join this team. And we can't make them join. God can use his, he got to use his grace and faith but we have to do our part and everyone you has a starting position. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here that's not sure they're really on this team now, they're like, I don't know that I got a starting position. I don't know that I've ever surrendered my life to Christ. I don't really know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Father, I pray that you would give them the desire and ability to surrender everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you give them a desire they can't refuse to say, I want to be on this team. I'm, I don't even really know much about this team, but I'm really kind of tired of being on my own team. I'm tired of the consequence. I'm tired of what's going on. And I really believe I'm supposed to be on this team. Father, let them know all they need to do is surrender themselves to you. And I pray they would do that today. But Father, for us who are already on this team, Father, help us to realize how crucial our position is no matter what position we have, man, help us realize how crucial it is that we do our job in making disciples, bring glory to you. Father, thank you for the security we have of being on this team and never being kicked off. Thank you for the, the knowledge we have to know this team. It wins in the end and it wins for eternity. Help us to live in that so that we can Do our job while we're here. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.